Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode number 16 of the Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you all are safe and well. Well, I hope you all had a nice holiday. Hopefully you were able to get out and hear some live music. A lot of venues are open again and bands are back on the road in one fashion or another. We had some good ones over the holiday. We played the Peach Fest in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is always a treat in spite of my travel day from hell. And it was so incredible to be back playing with full capacity at my favorite venue, Red Rocks. There's just something special about the energy of that place, and it, it just makes it such an amazing experience every time we play there. We took a little break from our normal schedule, but I did put out a shorter special edition in place of a full episode two weeks ago. If you haven't had the chance yet, check it out, as my co-producers, Brothers Lazaroff, took over the hosting duties to interview yours truly and talk about the podcast as we hit our 15th episode. It was a lot of fun, and it was kind of nice to be back on the other side of the mic for a minute. My featured guest today is the always entertaining Vince Herman of Leftover Salmon. Vince has such an energetic spirit about him, and he always brings the crowd along for a great time, and behind all of that is a great love of the dead. Usually when Vince and I are together, there's some kind of party going on, and it was kind of nice to have this quiet conversation, if you will. Also with me today is Tom Ryan of the band Cubensis uh, to let us know a little bit about the dead community in the Los Angeles area, and we continue with part two of my conversation with the legendary Rick Turner. Before we get started, I'd like to appeal to you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription, which gives you exclusive bonus content, including expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, community hang time with me, and much more. Or you can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal. And please remember that a portion of all the proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, a charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And wherever you are listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. Thank you for your time. Now let's get right to it. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor the Mississippi Sheiks. The Mississippi Sheiks were a popular and influential American string band in the late 1920s and early 1930s, and their music became some of the earliest popular tracks as records became common in homes. 
They were made up mainly of members of the Chapman family from Bolton, Mississippi, who were well known in the Mississippi Delta. One of the Chapmans went on to have a successful solo career under the name of Bo Carter, and it is said their family was related to another blues great, Charlie Patton. Singer and guitarist Walter Vinson was the other most prominent member of the group. The Sheiks played at dances and minstrel shows in central Mississippi and the Delta. On record, they were best known for the blues, but they also played waltzes, Tin Pan Alley songs, ballads, and minstrel show tunes to cater to both their black and white audiences. Muddy Waters, who at the time played in a similar style string band, said he would walk 10 miles to hear them play. The Sheiks recorded somewhere around 60 to 70 tracks for the OK and Bluebird labels from 1930 to 1935. A few of them gained quite a bit of popularity, but none as much as the first tune they recorded, Sitting on Top of the World. It's a testament to the Sheik's powerful contribution to dozens of genres and styles of popular music that the tune has been recorded not only by the dead, but Howlin' Wolf, Bob Wills, Doc Watson, Harry Belafonte, Cream, Jack White, and a host of others. You'll hear it at lots of different tempos and different verses were added and subtracted, but it always conveys the sense of optimism in the face of adversity. The Dead debuted the song early on in the spring of 1966, and they played it at a pretty fast bluegrass tempo, and it showed up sporadically on the playlists all the way up through the Europe 72 tour. So here are the Mississippi Sheiks and the original recording of Sitting on Top of the World. Why should I worry and prayer in vain But now she's gone, I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the world Going to the station Down in the yard Come get me a freight train Wake sun got hard But now she's gone I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the world The lonesome days, they have gone by Why should you beg me and say goodbye But now she's gone, I don't worry I'm sitting on top of the world The SMS Breakdown is brought to you by Sarno Music Solutions, producing the finest musical instrument gear, designed and hand-built right here in St. Louis, Missouri since 2003, and Blue Jade Audio Mastering, St. Louis's primary audio mastering service since 1999. Today we're going to bring you part two of my conversation with Master Luthier and audio guru Rick Turner. In this portion, Rick's going to tell us a little bit about how he got into building guitars and the founding of the Alembic and Modulus Guitar Companies. I decided that I wanted, you know, I knew a couple of people that were one-man shop building acoustic guitars, and I decided I wanted to be the the one-man shop electric guitar person, or electric bass. And at that time, you know, we're looking at 1968, 69, you couldn't buy pickup. So I went to Radio Shack and bought some magnets and bought some wire and started laboriously, literally hand-winding pickups. At that time, uh, you know, the Young Bloods were there. <clears throat> I also wound up doing some roadieing for them and mixing sound for them. Their office was in Point Reyes Station. The secretary was a woman named Florence Nathan, 
who went on to become known as Rosie McGee, you know, one of the, right. you know, you, you know, Rosie, of you course. know, yeah. So um, she saw what I was up to. I built a bass. My first instrument was a bass for Jesse Colin Young. And um, she said, oh, man, you ought to you ought to meet my boyfriend and and um, and meet the band. And that meant Phil Lesh and the Grateful Dead. And so um, she arranged uh, for me to go out from Point Reyes to the, the Dead's Pink Warehouse in Novato. And uh, where I met the band and met. Uh, met Owsley and um, Ron Wickersham, who was working on electronics for the band. And I turned out to sort of be the missing link. I mean, uh, Bear, Owsley, had this concept of a group of engineers and technicians and craftspeople, and he called it Alembic. And he would brought in, he had Bob Matthews and, and Betty Cantor, Betty Cantor Jackson, um, recording engineers uh, and and live sound mixers. Um, Ron Wickersham, who uh, was an electronics genius and had come from Ampex, and I showed up and I was I became the sort of the designated luthier, but I also was quite familiar with how recording studios work from being a musician and in a recording musician. And also, I'd, I'd been out on the road mixing uh, the Youngbloods. So it was very convenient to have me as someone who could fill in here and fill in there. This is the genesis of Alembic then, right there. This, this, this is the official, this is Alembic becoming a real company. Yeah. So that would be June of, of 1970. And you know, we somehow magically acquired a whole bunch of assets that included the PA system that Bear had paid for. He did not want to be an official part of the corporation. Uh, you know, he was always, always tried to be as underground as he could be while being in the middle of it all. Right. You know? um, some, some of those first Olympic guitars and basses because you started with the bass you said yeah those went straight into the hands of the guys in the dead yeah the Olympic number one went to Jack Cassidy and you saw that bass uh on uh, uh White Rabbit right at your gig again in Felton right and then yeah and the earliest the earliest instruments went into um spectacular hands do you remember their reactions when they got these instruments oh, yeah they were delighted i mean you know we it was interesting because the dead the airplane to a lesser extent crosby stills and nash primarily crosby were really funding research and development with all of this stuff and the money was flowing uh like you wouldn't believe and the suits hadn't taken over yet, right? You know, so um, so they were able. They trusted us. We had a lot of trust from the musicians, and then we delivered the goods. I want to ask you about the difference. Well, first of all, I want to go back when you started building the guitars, not just the pickups. What what were some of the of the electric guitars that inspired you when you started building? In auto salvage, I'd played a 335, which was 
uncomfortable to me. I played a Strat. Then I got a, um, then I, I made Peanut, which I, I liked very much. And I also, <clears throat> oddly enough, had a Fender Duo Sonic that I really liked. And then I wound up with this amazing and now very rare um, Epiphone Coronet six-string bass. So are you taking like characteristics from each of these guitars that you like? Well, yeah. And and so one of the reasons I got into basses first was because Jesse Colin Young ordered a bass, you know, so I built him a bass, you know. Um, that led to um to the work with Phil and then Jack. We, you know, of course, in those very early days of Olympic, we did a lot of modding. So you had uh you know the strat that uh, that Graham Nash gave to uh, Jerry, right? Turning into what we now know as alligator, alligator. You know, and a lot of that was. It is funny, you know. The musicians would come in, and it would kind of be, got anything in mind. How much? I got two questions on this. How much does the wood make a difference? Wood counts, sonically speaking. Sonically speaking, is the wood the most important thing in that guitar, in a guitar? No, the hands of the player are the most important thing. Of course. But, but getting the human wood, out of the area. Yeah, wood counts and necks are really important. One end of the string is attached to the body. The other is attached to the neck. You know, the string is vibrating and putting energy in and the energy is bouncing back at both ends. And um, one of the things that we realized with Alembic was that uh, a stiff neck was a good thing because it would reflect string energy. It wouldn't suck the energy out of the string. It would reflect it back into the string, and that meant sustain. That kind of leads me into a question I was going to ask you later, but I'm going to go there now because you're talking about that stiff neck is that where later on when you guys came up with the concept of a graphite guitar neck is that the reason absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent. that's exactly where where we went to and it was right about the time that fleetwood mac was recording rumors at, in sausalito so i took it down and showed it to john mcvee it's a whole other story but and he said oh i want it bingo so John McVie got the first carbon fiber uh, bass neck. We did show it at NAMM, um, and, uh, and we immediately applied for a patent on it, which, which came through in 78, I think it was. Um, and so that was the, that was the startup of, um, that became the startup of, of modules. Right. Modulus too. So. Let me ask you this, all this work, whether it's with the wood or the carbon fiber or any of it, all this meticulous work that you do on these guitars is completely by hand. What's your favorite part of the build? It's, uh, and by the way, Brad Sarno wanted me to ask you that question. Yeah. For me, it's, um, it's chasing the invention. It turns out that I've got a, I don't have schooling in engineering, but I have a, very good intuitive understanding um of of how this shit works you know uh and that's it has served me well um for 
decades now, you know, it, it's just, um, I also have this attitude about making stuff, which is that it's not, I'm a metal worker, I'm a woodworker, I'm a this, I'm a that. No, you're making stuff. And you figure it out. It, it's really a, a, a mindset, knowing how to make stuff. And it, it almost doesn't matter what it's made out of. You can figure out how to work with it. Wow. This conversation was really intense and so informative. This section alone had so much more technical info that I couldn't leave in. But you can hear the entire conversation with all the technical details if you have a Patreon subscription. I'll have more with Rick in coming episodes, including how the wall of sound came to be. But for now, let's go ahead and move on. Today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you by the Authenticity Academy, offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going in, or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help. www.authenticity.coach Today we head out to L.A. to talk to Tom Ryan, the keyboard player from the band Cubensis. Tom's a great keyboard player who actually spent a bit of time helping DSO out uh, back in 2005 after Scott Larned's passing. Uh, he's a great guy. haven't talked to him in a long time, and it was great to catch up. <laughs> okay, so I'm here today with Tom Ryan, the keyboard player from the band Cubensis out of Los Angeles, California. How are you, man? Hey, doing great, Rob. Good to see you. It's good to see you. It's uh, It's been a long time, you know. Um, as I mentioned earlier to everybody, Tom... Spent a little bit of time on the mountain with us, if you will. He uh, came in and really helped us out for a while after the passing of Scott Larned and, and, and did a whole West Coast tour with us, if I remember right. Yeah, about 2005, got to play in the Midwest with you guys. Yeah, man. And really, really solid keyboard player, really solid guy, really helped us oh, out. Thank so you. thank you for that. And we haven't spoken in a long time, so it's good to see your face and catch up. So. When you when you played with us back in 2005, you were already in Cubensis, which obviously that's been around for a while now. So can you give me give us a brief history on the band and when you formed and everything? Okay, Craig Marshall formed the band back in 1987, and I remember seeing them playing in parking lots of dead shows. That's how they got their humble start. I've been with the band now 20 years, and my brother Larry plays bass. He's been in about 24 years now. When I started, I said I would stop doing this when it ceases to be fun. And here you so are. So 20 years later, it's oh, it's better than ever. Right on, man. Uh, that's how cool is that to get to play music with your brother all the time? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what is, what's the instrumentation for you guys? One drummer, two drummers? How uh, two work? drummers. Two drummers. We have Ed Fletcher on drums and Brad Rodas. And then two, two guitars, keyboards, and bass. So the same lineup. Yeah. Right on. Um, and now, now that the pandemic's kind of running, I don't want to say is over because it certainly isn't. But you guys are back out there playing again now? Yes. So in, in, in a normal time or now, how often would you all be playing, you know, before the pandemic or now? Just how often um, are you out there? It was about a minimum of two times, uh, two times a week. Two times sometimes, a week, right? On. Yeah, sometimes it'd be a four, you know, four stretch or five stretch. And and are all these gigs in the LA area? Uh, not since the pandemic. We've been going to Northern California, Arizona, 
and traveling a little bit farther for shows and trying oh. to play trying to play outdoors more yeah smart smart um for the most part like before the pandemic where you you were pr- pretty much staying not exclusively but pretty much in the la area do you guys a lot of the bands i talk to like have a we play every tuesday at this club or we play do you guys have a regular residency at any club uh we've had several over the decades and and they're pretty fun but no we don't have one right now we were at the golden sales hotel on long beach every friday for quite a while or the 14 below on santa monica so now as you're traveling like you went down where do you go in arizona Let's see, we're, we played at the, where we're at the Shriners Hall in Phoenix. At the Shriners Hall in Phoenix. Awesome. Yeah. And how far north are you guys going? Uh, we were in Kelseyville, a little place called Wilsonville for an outdoor festival in the forest for the 4th okay. of July. Awesome. So you're getting out there and getting around. That's cool. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell us about your the band do you all take a specific approach to interpreting and performing the music do you put your own twist on it do you try and keep it traditional how do you all approach the music i think we try to get the feeling it's kind of like improv jazz with a head and you play the song and then you can go off and space out and bring it back it's kind of like the formula of jazz put to rock and roll at least in, from, from my perspective and I just, you know, I listen to a lot of the music and just try to get kind of the, the feeling I had to it. Like on keys, I don't try to represent the whole frequency band. I might just be playing on the upper register and try to let the bass handle the lower notes. Right. right. Do you guys, do you talk about how you're going to approach it or is it just, hey, let's go out and play these tunes? Uh, a little of both. You know, sometimes we'll try to, we'll plan something or it's not ever set in concrete. We can change a set list on the fly. Or sometimes go out with no set list at all. Is it is it harder when you go out with no set list at all? Is it harder to keep it flowing? Oh, not at all. I love that. Yeah. yeah Would you prefer keep... to do that than going out there with a set set list? Yes. Interesting. I mean, I, I've spent some time playing with you, so I know you're a hell of an organ player. Um, what what about your personal playing style? Are there are there keyboard players that you're more drawn to from the dead over the years than others? Is, do you have a personal favorite that that influenced you more? Uh, Brent Midland. Yeah. Definitely Brent. And then Vince Wellock, too. Yeah, we both met him and played with him. That's right. Yeah, man. It was from back in the day when he was moving around playing with the different bands. You guys got a little taste, didn't you? Some golden days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so being being a Brent fan and, and you've got that great raspy voice as well, is your first choice then? Are you playing organ on most things or will you play keep, will play piano as well? I prefer to play organ. I'm more comfortable on it. Yeah. I don't play piano. I enjoy the, you know, road sound. Are there specific eras of the songs that you guys enjoy playing more than others? Do you guys tackle the, the early stuff? Do you run the whole gamut? Oh, we do. Yeah, we do discuss that sometimes. So we can play it in the 70s groove. Or For me, I like, I like anything through the 80s. Yeah. Do you guys go back and play some of that 60s stuff? Yeah, try to, try to cover a little bit of everything. Right on. Break it up. Um, I think we've got about 300-something songs in our book that we can play. Oh, wow. And every Halloween, yeah, every Halloween, we would cover a rock and roll album from beginning to end. It's a tradition. So we end up learning all the songs from these albums over the years. So when, when you guys are out playing live, is it all Grateful Dead, or do you incorporate some other artists in there as well? 
Uh, rarely, but it's pretty much all Grateful Dead and Jerry Band and things related to that. I bet being an Oregon, an Oregon guy, you really probably enjoy playing the Jerry Band stuff, don't you? Oh, totally. <laughs> Los Angeles, man. You could not live in a more sprawling, spread out city. Hmm. Um, tell me about the Grateful Dead community there. I mean, you guys are so spread out. Do you find certain areas are better than others, or is the we are everywhere clause apply oh, out there? Definitely. We are everywhere, wherever we go. Yeah. So you, you play all across Los Angeles? I'm not in Los Angeles proper that much, usually in Orange County or, or along the beaches. Tell, can you tell, tell me about the community? There's so many of us. <laughs> uh, very kind, a lot of very intelligent people. Do you see do you see a lot of the same people along the way? Yes. When when you guys play in one part of Los Angeles and then you move across the way to another part, you do you have people who are coming no matter where you are in the LA area? Yeah, if, if we're within the circle, yeah. Like Orange County, San Diego. So, you know, like everywhere else, you've got this great community of people, these like-minded people that want to come out and hear this music and, and support their local bands. What what is it about this music that creates this community in every city we're talking about? It starts with the drums. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. It starts with the drummers. That's the best answer I've ever had to that question. <laughs> Expand, please. In, yeah. As long as the long as the beat's there, the rest of the band will follow. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's you know, I mean, most people say, Oh, it's the lyrics and it's everything that brings these people together, but uh, let's go with oh, it's all about the drums. Fuck yeah. If if you had to say you know, I know on a musical sense, you say the drums, but from a community sense, if you had to say the one thing that, that really makes this work, that really keeps this music alive all this time and creates this community in all these different cities, that one thing, what would it be? To me, that would be, you could take the lyrics of the songs and read them, stand at a podium and read them. And they sound great. They're intelligent. It's like for most rock and roll, baby, I miss you. Wish I could kiss you. Sorry, I dissed you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and this is fairly well. Let your life proceed by its own design. People joining hand exactly. in hand. Music plays a band. Good, good stuff. Words to live by for me. That's what got me. That, you know, that, as much as the music was cool when I was getting into it, it was the lyrics that hooked me. So I think you really nailed it on the head there. Well, I appreciate you taking just a few minutes to share what goes on in Los Angeles. Um, we'll be back out there one day. It's been too long. So hopefully we will... Uh, get back out there and get to see each other for the first time in many years definitely about 10 years i think yeah i remember the last time you came out it was a while ago but uh well hey tom i i appreciate you taking the time i know you're busy it's taken us a while to hook up go enjoy these couple days off i know you've been working hard we'll uh we'll, we'll talk to you soon everybody that is tom ryan from the band cubensis out in los angeles thank you my friend If you're enjoying today's episode and would like to offer your support to the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can make a one-time contribution via PayPal or become a patron with a monthly subscription that includes expanded video versions of all our segments, all the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast. Uh, I make some really cool videos out on the road, give you some behind-the-scenes looks, uh, some community hang time, some old DSO footage, and much, much more. I'm also happy to say that a portion of every contribution goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity that was originally founded by the Grateful Dead. You can support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read my blog, 
and contact me through our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Uh, Thank you for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, go to Grateful Sweats for subtle dead designs. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy and see for yourself designs only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with Jed in the middle of it and someone says nice shirt, you know they get what's going on. The cap with the single finger in the air makes its point as well. Look great on tour with men's and ladies' tees and tanks, caps, pins, and clearance items as low as $5. Get them at www.etsy.com slash shop slash grateful sweats or click from our sponsors link at themusicplaystheband.net. My featured guest today is Vince Herman of Leftover Salmon. Vince is, is such an interesting guy and has so much passion for the Grateful Dead and, and just music and songwriting in general. Uh, you all see it when he's on stage. He's got just the most amazing energy up there. I had a lot of fun with this one. He's a great guy, and it was just a, a really easy, comfortable conversation. So uh, here it is, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, so I'm here today with Vince Herman from Leftover Salmon. How are you, my friend? The festival! We're back a, at it. Zero a, to 100 has happened. <laughs> it's a festival in Nashville for you right now. You're at your new home, right? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it was during the pandemic. I, I just kind of lost my my patience with sitting in one place. Yeah, and uh, I bought an RV and uh, drove to Nashville, <laughs> and uh, uh, one of the places I drove to, and ended up staying here for a month, and and uh, got a publishing deal with a guy named Irv Woolsey who. Uh, Manages George Strait, nice. Leanne Womack and a bunch of folks, and ended up writing, uh, getting in on on some cool writing sessions, and decided to move back. So, are you going to be writing? Are you going to be writing for other people then with that deal? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, uh, writing for the Davison Brothers. So I'm really psyched about that. I got, I think I got four songs on on their record, and uh, got three songs on the new Andy Frasco record that we did a big uh, team write down here. That's so great, man! I'm I'm really happy for you. And and are you are you starting to play gigs as well? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, um, I'm I'm on my way to to Denver this weekend to uh, uh, go out to Buena Vista, Colorado, for a three day uh festival with with leftover salmon at the surf hotel in buena vista out there. yes that's awesome really Very sweet nice. place you know a little town square out in front of the hotel where we do the shows beautiful hotel right on the arkansas river bike trails and kayaking and all the good stuff you could do in colorado you know? so it's got to be nice now when you go back to colorado you get that taste of what you were doing for all those years but then you go back to nashville where you've got a whole new bag going on yeah yeah it's you know, i love colorado you know my boys are still there my sons you know so and i love playing music with them in the herman clan the herman clan right thc for sure you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, the family band is, is power fun. I just love picking with my boys. And I've been I've been producing a bit, and my son Silas has been engineering. 
And uh, that, that's been really fun doing those kind of projects out there. That's great. Getting to work with your family. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, you grew up, if I'm getting this right, if I did my research, you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Carnegie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Pennsylvania. Um, can you give me, give us, tell us just a little bit uh, about your musical upbringing, how you got started as a musician, what your childhood was like with music and everything? Yeah, man, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and uh, my brother made me a plywood cutout guitar with rubber bands on it when I was about two years old. And, you know, they weren't allowed to be hippies in the early 60s, so they dressed me up like one. <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd play Beatles songs, you know, for them and shit, you know. And, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's how it started. And uh, I started taking piano lessons because I figured it would bug my sister who was taking lessons. You know, I could, you know try to get on the piano whenever she was practicing just to, you know, you know as young siblings do, torture each other. Just to be the shitty youngest child. Yeah. Yeah. And, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so did, did a whole bunch of that. And, uh, and then started uh, taking guitar lessons in third grade. Um, about fourth grade, my, my guitar instructor told me, you know, Vince, some people have it. Some people don't. And you don't. <laughs> so, so <laughs> did that guitar teacher ever find out that you made it? No, no, he passed on years ago. So. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. But I, I, I accepted the challenge, I guess. Yeah. And you did okay with it, too. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. When you were studying guitar, then what were you studying? What kind of stuff? Just learning scales or were you learning rock? Tunes? Yeah. Yeah. Just learning scales and tunes and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, I, I didn't really, really kick the learning into high gear until I started teaching myself. Yeah um you know how to how to play stuff getting music books and digging into it and, you know really doing that um my instructor those early years was an accordion player happened to have a guitar instruction book in the in the studio there so um but yeah and, and then in ninth grade i started teaching guitar so that, that was that was that was a good job for a youngster but yeah, the uh, you know so growing up as the youngest of seven kids, uh, I absorbed all of the music of my older siblings from Motown and Stax Vault to the British Invasion and you know, all that all that kind of stuff and and uh, polka bands were like I come from a huge family, so there were a ton of weddings every year and always a polka band. You know, I I thought you had to have an accordion to get married <laughs> when I was a kid. You know. That's such so a Pennsylvania all, thing, polka band. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, Pennsylvania, the, Pittsburgh in particular, has all these great little ethnic neighborhoods, and you know, you have, yeah, Eastern European music, and, and like you know, the Duquesne University had a an organization called the Tamboritsons that played all kind of great, great Eastern European stuff, and you know, yeah, my my ears were exposed to a lot of great stuff, you know, so I I. I just stopped at a restaurant and had a picture of Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis on the wall, man. I saw both of them when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, man. You know, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, Andre Previn. I mean, just, yeah, I just, I just had a, a great musical childhood exposed to a lot of stuff. Do you remember, do you remember when you first heard the dead? Uh, I, my first show was in at the Stanley theater 
in either 78 or 79. Had you heard the music before you got there or was this just, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I guess I, I always knew, knew of the dead. I can't, can't remember the exact first time I heard them, but, but yeah, that first show was, was pretty, pretty powerful impact on me. What was it, man? What, 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 what grabbed you? What, what, and obviously kept you there, but what, what, what was it? Well, they were a lot louder than them polka bands I'd been hearing. <laughs> and yeah, I you had to physically feel the, you know, drums and, and, and the bass, you know, like that, that was, that was, that was kind of new to me. And yeah, the, you know, the improv nature of it all. Uh, um, yeah, just the freedom and then great songs, right. you know, great songs you want to sing along with and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that and that freedom and and the the character in 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 the cats, you know. Yeah, it wasn't my first rock and roll show, you know, but um, um, you know, I I, I saw the new Riders early on, you know, and uh, you know, just characters. Yeah, you know, you can just tell those characters up there playing, you know, and, and you know, you you imagine the life there. They're they're living when you're you know a kid growing up in Pittsburgh. You're like, man, you want some of that, right? Right. Did you? Uh, and you saw your first show shows at Stanley, and then you saw your fair your fair share of shows after that for sure, right? Yeah, you know, uh, not a lot, uh, maybe like ten. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I did the obligatory hitchhiking to a bunch of shows. You know, I didn't own a car until I was 24 years old. So I, I went hitchhiking around everywhere, you know. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, Buffalo, Syracuse, New Haven, Ithaca, um, and, you know, up at Cornell. Um, yeah, so I caught a Red Rock show um, and a Garcia show at the at the Warfield. Nice. Um yeah, that's 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 probably about it. Must must have been a uh, Morgantown show. Morgantown, um, West Virginia. Yeah, you spent some yeah. time in West Virginia. Right? Is that where you went to school? Yeah, I went to college there in Morgantown. had a, had a great time up there. Yippee! Yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you did when you were doing all that and you're teaching and then you're in high school doing that and then you go to college? Are you playing in bands already at that point? Um. Wasn't in high school, you know. I I joined a, a country band in high school. I guess it was the first first thing I I had was I was sixteen years old and had met this guy playing at the Three Rivers Arts Festival in town. He was in a country band and needed a lead guitar player, and I I jumped on board that for I guess about three months. We played weekends and uh, and uh, eventually they they let me go because I. People don't want to hear that bluegrass stuff, Vince. Yeah, I was I was playing a lot too many bluegrass licks in this country band, and, you know. Because <laughs> there's that big line between bluegrass and country. So to the country purist, bluegrass is not not where it's at at all, is it? Yeah, you know, and and, and you know, I never put up those dividers. You know, I I, you know, uh, if it hadn't been for Elvis, bluegrass would be rock and roll. Right. You know, you know, 
but uh yeah you know i i i've always definitely leaned toward that that bluegrass side of thing and it, it, that that took me and and what <clears throat> what set that in motion is i went to a a festival called the smoky city folk festival in pittsburgh in probably 76 or 77 maybe and i i, I saw um like 40 people standing around the circle playing this tune and i realized man those people i don't even think they know each other and they're doing that how cool was that and and all of a sudden the the social aspect of music hit me and it's like ooh i want in on that hell yeah and and bluegrass and old time music seemed to offer that right on you know you know so that's that's probably what really set me into motion there and then you know after i got out of high school i went down to morgantown to uh, to college and uh you know got deep into the bluegrass and old timey scene there and that was just a product of being in west virginia you think yeah absolutely right on so yeah had, <clears throat> have you always then has it always just been acoustic for you is it have you ever played electric guitar or has it pretty much been acoustic your whole life um yeah you know i was, I was playing electric in that first country band um so I've I've always you know dabbled in electric, but but acoustic has been my primary thing. I've got a new band now called the High Hawks. I'm playing electric in. Oh, right on. Um, that's that's really fun, and I'm, I'm you know I, I just bought a Les Paul a couple of days ago. You're in a good town to buy guitars, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're in a real good town to buy guitars. Yeah, yeah. Um, because because of the acoustic thing, does. I don't know if I should say did or does or do. Does, does the Dead's acoustic stuff appeal to you more? Oh, I love that stuff. Absolutely. That 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 run from Radio City, man, was just I love that record. Yeah. And you know, um yeah, and the Garcia Grisman stuff, I love that that thing, you know. But no, I'm I'm my ears are wide open, man. I I, I appreciate all that stuff, that's for sure. With, with you playing primarily acoustic, and and Garcia started out that way too, you know, bluegrass and the Americana, mm-hmm. playing, playing banjo and acoustic mostly. But for you as an acoustic guitar player, primarily acoustic, I know you play some electric. Is it still possible to 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 be influenced by Jerry's playing, even though he's by and large an electric player as he goes on throughout his life? Can you still? Is there still stuff for you to take to an acoustic guitar from that? Absolutely, man. Uh, his, uh, I guess, almost vocal-like expression of of his lines, um, you know, just strong melodic lines, you know, contouring through through his song, you know, is is definitely one of the larger larger things he left, you know, for us to to uh, to learn from. I think, uh, you know, just those uh, iconic lines, you know. Um, you know, sure, you 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 go off and you explore things and, and you do that, but you have a a strong melodic line weaving through it, you know. And that's I always try to keep that in mind when play. What about when? <clears throat> excuse me. When when Drew or someone else is soloing and you're comping, does the weird thing come into you? I mean, do you got any influence from what Bob? I know he plays like he's a completely different animal than any other yeah. guitar player in the world. But does any of that rub off on you, especially when you're on acoustic? Is that possible? You know, 
more so jerry the the bobby bobby stuff is is still an absolute mystery to me (laughs) what you know how he approaches his phrasing and his voicings and all you know it's yeah it's have you heard some of this stuff with his isolated tracks it's, no, it's from, I haven't, dude. It's it's ridiculous. It's from live shows, and it'll be just his track. And for not even just for a rhythm player, for any guitar player, it is just so out there yeah. and next and next level shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's cr- you got to check some of this stuff out. It'll be it, one of them is just like a simple blues, one of the blues tunes, and he's crushing it in a way that nobody yeah. would ever play that tune. It's it's yeah. cool. It's you got to check some of that out. It's so cool. Are, are there particular? We talked about the acoustic stuff, that Warfield run, and the music, Radio City, that 1980 stuff. But are there particular eras or even songs that just get you really get you off? That get you off more than some of the other stuff? Or do you have something that just pulls at your heartstrings? You know, um, that whole Terrapin Station album is is like home to me, man. Yeah, you know, I could just listen the hell out of that. Lost Sailor always works for me you know um yeah god you know that i love uh jerry's russian rag and uh um yeah it's just so much man yeah it's hard to even think but those are some of the ones first ones that that come to mind you know what about who i mean you're you're like you're saying maybe it's a product of having so many siblings your musical tastes are all over the map and that show shows through with salmon for sure who else was a main influence or left the biggest impression on your playing and songwriting as you're growing up or even after you're growing up you know david bromberg david bromberg for sure you know who did a lot of work with the dead Mm -hmm. um you know um you know, one of the things I really love is that Peter Rowan Texican Badman record with Kreutzmann and, and Garcia on it. Man, that's a yeah. phenomenal record. I think Phil even plays bass on that. Right on. The, I love that stuff. Um, but yeah, Bromberg is a major, major influence. Kind of, that was my first bluegrass show in the, the 1976. And the Bromberg big band was just wow phenomenal had leon redbone opening with a tuba player playing with them and you know it just kind of blew my mind but you know i like i love like you know the new artists of dr john i listened to a lot of dr john early on um but you know like guys like cat stevens you know when i was real young you know dug on that traffic and and uh you know that kind of stuff yeah marshall tucker i I saw charlie daniels five times before i got out of high school i think you know we we grew up in southern pittsburgh right (laughs) (laughs) i gotta ask you that you you left you left west virginia in 85 when you're done with school and you went straight out to boulder right yeah is it really true did you and drew really meet on your first night in town I pulled into Boulder and stopped in front of this club that said live bluegrass tonight and uh, walked in the left hand string band was playing. And you, and you met him that night. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I remember, I remember thinking, man, man, 
these dudes, they're working a day job, then they come out and do this stuff, and they're making 50 bucks a night. Damn. They're rolling it. Let me do this. <laughs> Gotta get me some of this. Yeah. Um, I, okay, yeah. so you guys now makes us all sound old because I remember seeing you guys in Austin, Texas when I was just out of just barely into college. But you guys have been together now for 30 plus years. 31 years. Yeah. You've had congratulations. Um, you've had a bunch of different lineups, but but you and Drew have been there through all of it. You're the constants. And I want to ask if this is Bobby and Jerry had this chemistry that works so well. You know, Bobby's a rhythm player. It's so different. We talked about it. It's so different than the traditional role of a rhythm guitarist. But for you and Drew, it's kind of different too, because it's not two guitars. Sometimes it is, but primarily it's guitar and mandolin or some fiddle and guitar. Can you Uh, draw any parallel between the chemistry of you and Drew after 30 years to something similar to an onstage chemistry that Jerry and Bobby would have had? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, there's nothing like grinning, sitting there grinning, looking at your buddy while you're doing these things, you know, and then we've been sitting there grinning at each other for a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we, we were on our way to their first gig as leftover salmon as it was a salmon heads gig that I called some of the left-hand guys to fill in the band since a couple guys couldn't make it. And, called it that stupid combination of left hand string band and the salmon heads lived with, with it for so long. But I remember, you know, on our way to that gig, you know, thinking, man, you know, we, we could, we could maybe do this, you know, maybe this will turn into a job, you know? And, and we're both just so thankful that we've had this, this run at it, you know? But yeah, you know, musically after all the, all those years together, we, we definitely know each other pretty well. Right kind of I, I talk about it with you know dino and i before we were in dark star we drummed together in another band so we're at 25 plus years and i kind of when people ask about it i say we can kind of finish musically speaking we can kind of finish each other's sentences mm-hmm. you know, i know i'm going to start a fill this way and i know he's going to finish it that way or vice versa not 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 contrived or gimmicky but there's that thing going on that we know where we're going each other's we know each other well enough yeah. musically speaking and, and yeah. it doesn't and it doesn't always work admittedly i'm sure you guys have nights like that too where it doesn't always work uh yeah uh, definitely <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry to say but yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> does what you know um you know i'm i'm particularly prone like like when i'm i'm just hadn't slept or or something like that to, uh, you know, just kind of uh, be out of it and like not remember words or, or arrangements and all that kind of stuff, which, you know. Part of it is that we're, it's so cliche to say it this way, but we're all fine. You know, we're working without a net. We're all, we're all trying to do something fresh and improv, 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 improvisation yeah. while we're up there. So it's not always going to work. You right. Know, it's, I'd, I'd right. rather have that happen than play the same thing the same way every night and just have it. get. Yeah. Done. Because then you don't get the absolute fire of, wow, what just happened where, where the music plays you. Exactly. And, you know, you, know, you get out of your own way, you know, I mean, because, you know, face it, man, we're musicians. We, we, we struggle with accepting our, 
our limitations, you know, I, it's pretty rare. I, I, I take a solo without, without hearing my guitar instructor say, you don't have it kid. You know? <laughs> oh, that is so awesome though, man. Cause that just you know? lights the fire under you every time. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. That's so cool though, because that just keeps you fired up to play and go for it and have that an energy and, and drive. Yeah. And, 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 and crippling doubt, <laughs> you know, along and, and with it. It's crazy though. You know, I mean, I not always the most confident person behind my instrument either. And you would think after all of these years of us doing it, that we would get to that point. But like you just said, you still hear that voice back there. And, you know, sometimes I'll think of another drummer who's so much better than me. And, and, and what am I doing? You know, and I don't want to say second guessing myself or second guessing ourselves, but it, I guess it, I guess my point is it always keeps you striving for more and trying to improve and yeah. learn and grow. Exactly. Right on. Um, gotta have the hunger. Gotta have the hunger. There it is right there, man. Gotta have the hunger. So, so many styles and genres. And, you know, we talked about your sister, siblings and all that. And then Drew and, and your other guys have their influences. And, and Salmon just runs the gamut, man. Bluegrass, ska, calypso, rock, jazz, punk, everything. You know, um, the dead also, you know, maybe not the same genres, but they incorporated so many different styles, you know, blues, rock, mm -hmm. psychedelia, jazz, country, and all of that into their song choices as well. Did, did besides your, your upbringing with your family, did listening to them and following them and hearing them play all these different styles make that? seep into your brain when it came time for you to decide how to play what styles i'm going to play and whatnot absolutely absolutely um you know one one of the first bands i was in in college was a, a band called smokestack lightning which was a, a a dead cover band um so you know aside from that country thing i did in high school that was kind of really the first band that i was in uh, yeah, I was playing dead tunes, so that definitely uh, was a, was a major influence. Um, that that freedom and that that exploring is has always been been part of what I do. You know? If for no other reason than I forgot what I was supposed to be doing, <laughs> <laughs> but this is working, so I'm going to stick with it. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you guys, Sam, and you you've all. You're known to play a dead tune or two over the years. Um, how do you decide what approach to take with a certain tune? You know, whether you're going to give it the more traditional treatment that it was originally came in, or you're going to add a bluegrass twist to it or a calypso twist. How do you decide how to interpret a dead tune when you're playing one in leftover salmon? Well, like so many of the covers we do, the first question we ask is, will it grass? Will it grass? <laughs> You know, like like a tune like Mr. Charlie. You know, watched, that's Mr. one of them I was watching. I saw that it'll, video. It'll grass, man. It'll grass, man. You know, so if if we can we can grass it up, we we probably will. Are there ones um, that don't? Well, yeah, something like you know, new speedway boogie, you know, is you know, we do a fairly straight reading of that, you know. Um we got this kind of kind of boogaloo kind of groove i don't know how to describe it really otherwise that would do uh u.s blues in it's kind of a kind of funky boogaloo kind of thing 
you know, a little bit of a different, different kind of take on that, you know. And uh, it's fun taking those songs and turning them on their ear, isn't it? They're they're monster vehicles for expression to happen within. You know, they yeah. they are. They're they're just incredible frameworks for for players to uh, express themselves over top of. You know, open enough to to uh, leave the possibilities right lingering you know let's uh <clears throat> let's 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 talk about songwriting for a moment if you don't mind um yeah or, and i know you like you got all kinds of cool songwriting stuff going on now down in nashville but uh are you and drew and, and salmon are you and drew the primary songwriters um yeah, these days you know andy thorne writes a good bit of the stuff uh Alwyn's been writing. Greg Garrison's been writing. Um, so yeah, we're 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 all kind of getting at it now. Um, but yeah, historically, uh, Drew and I were were the primary writers, and I find as many tunes as I as I write. Uh, you know, or at least historically, figured out I'm I'm good at digging up tunes from obscure places and kind of making them our own. Um, I love doing that, but yeah, the, the writing for me has really increased in the past couple of years. And, and I've, I've landed in Nashville now and I'm doing a bunch of co-writing, which I've never done until coming here to Nashville. And it's opened up this whole world to me of, uh, of the process of writing with other people. And I'm, I'm really well suited to it. It, it really works for me. Right on. I love it. And I've been writing with some great folks down here just been really lucky really lucky to to uh to do these things man and uh and i'm got a lot more irons in the fire today i'm actually going down to uh to uh, a davis and brothers recording session here after this call to uh work with them a bit when when you're writing i guess this actually would probably apply more maybe to both but maybe just to when you're writing by yourself the you know you're you're so familiar with the dead's catalog and, and, and mentioned some great songs do hunter or barlow ever seep into your consciences when you're writing a tune you know i i guess when when you're in a situation and you're trying to figure out how how literal to be you know, and if and if you're questioning whether you can kind of make an abstract statement, kind of going the direction you want the song to go, that doesn't really spell things out, it leaves it a little nebulous. But it, the, there's a thread of connection running through it that moves it to the next point. It, 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 when I'm asking, well, should I be more literal there? You know, no, <laughs> you don't have to be. Look what these guys did, you know. Right on. That's all great, man. That's so great. Um, aside from you know from a song or two that they did, the the dead their tunes they never really spoke to politics. Um, but you guys and Sam and you tackle it from time to time, especially more recently, you know, with the craziness in our world. How do you personally? How do you view the role of music when it comes to political awareness? Well, man, you know. Um, it's 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 changing, honestly. You know, uh, you know, I I see uh, I see new Speedway Boogie as a political tune. 
you know you know i i love songs of social justice i i love i love woody guthrie stuff i love pointing out the things to the change i saw mavis staples at telluride this two weeks ago and and uh, her, she has a new song called things need to change you know about gun violence and crying mothers and you know things need to change and but i'm i'm realizing that in such a divided country as we're in right now um that i don't really need to write things that are going to divide us even further right right now the environment is about finding ways to point out that we all want the same thing and that the words and our screens have been dragging us around by the chain and creating this environment where we think we're against each other and that's just not true you know and and so I want to be deeply involved in politics because I know it, it, it affects our world stronger than anything else going. Over the years, you've gotten to play, you've collaborated with, with members of the dead, probably most frequently with Phil, I would assume. Um, can you tell me how that relationship came to be? Oh, man, we were, uh, uh, I think we were playing with Railroad Earth out in San Francisco the first time um, we did that. Man, what what a treat that was, and then some other things at uh at Terrapin Crossroads. Uh, but uh, really, I became friends with Bill Kreutzman, and and I've, I've spent kind of more time with with uh, Bill than anybody else in the band, and uh, you know, stayed with him in Hawaii and went out fishing with him and on his boat. And he's just such a gracious guy. And, yeah, he is. Had had a pick and party at his house that the police came and you know too loud you know and the police pull in and Bill goes up to the cop car and says thanks for the light show. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. What's it? What's the experience like? You know, I mean, both both musically speaking, you know, playing with those guys, and I mean, I know what it's like for me in both these respects, both musically and as someone who was, was, was a fan for so many years before you became, I don't want for lack of a better word, a contemporary, you know, first you're a fan in the crowd, seeing these guys uh, and, then, and then we're playing together. What's that like? Uh, it's scratch. It's a scratch your head moment. You know, I, like so many things that have happened in my life, I just feel just beyond lucky to have, uh, found myself in a position to do these things you know yeah but you know in in the end it's just friends playing music man you know i we got to uh we got to play a tune at at, at, at telluride with jackson brown and, and uh he came over to rehearse at the condo the day before we did it with him and uh we uh we had a version of under the falling sky that we had worked up that kind of took a lot of different grooves and took some, took some liberties with his song, you know, and had a great time learning it. Uh, you know, we're set to go. And, and so he's like, all right, man, great. Well, we'll do that. And I'm like, well, you know, if you're up there and you want to do another one, and he's like, well, yeah. Like, like, what would it be? And I suggest this song casino nation. 
And he looked at me with these eyes like, like the kid that just got picked for the dodgeball team, you know, that, that he wanted to be on and got picked way early. And like, wow, this is just awesome, you know. And because he's like, nobody knows that song. <laughs> nobody bought that record. How, like, it, even even if you're Jackson Brown, man, you're really just a kid in the sandbox, man, just wanting somebody to play with, you know. And and to see that look in his face of, of such gratitude that I knew that was like, oh my god, you're fuck, you're freaking Jackson Brown. You're like my ultimate writing hero, and. <laughs> yeah, we we never really get out of the sandbox. Right. You know? That's you know. That's right, man. No matter who we are, no matter who you're playing with, man, we're just we're just trying to get picked pick for the dodgeball team, man. Yeah. <laughs> we are. It's, I love it, man. Those are such great answers. Yeah. <laughs> it's also it's also true, man. You know, we're we're so fortunate to, to do, especially me, who's not in an original band, let's be honest, you know, I play in a cover band, tribute band, but to get to play with all these guys, you know, even just little stuff. Like when we were in Jamaica and you were down there and it was me, you Keller, Allie, I don't remember who else fucking around in a hotel room and then taking it out on the stage, you know, that's, and we were literally uh-huh. in a sandbox cause we were on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just so blessed and so lucky to get to do all this. And, and I want to thank you for sharing all that and, and taking the time with me today. But before I let you go, I do this with all my guests. Quick, I say a quick lightning round, but it's really like the world's slowest lightning round ever. All right. We're, we're going to try. Um, so trying to shoot from the hip. Uh, first Grateful Dead show. Stanley Theater, 1978 or nine. Favorite Grateful Dead show. Uh, I'd have to go Cornell, uh, 81. And you were there probably, right? Yeah. Right on. Uh, studio recordings are live. Oh man. Uh, uh, man, do, do I have to pick? You can abstain. You're not the first, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to go with studio recordings. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me though, being a songwriter like you are. You know, yeah. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, favorite dead album, then I think you already told me, but favorite album. Well, uh, yeah, I, I did uh, somewhere between Terrapin and Shakedown. Right on. I, I guess would probably here's here's the tough one, man. Favorite non-grateful dead album, any genre. That Desert Island album. Uh Jackson Brown, the Pretender. Yeah. yeah, good call. First job. Um washing out in uh ovens for a food service that um would take these ovens full of, of food for like industrial cafeterias and they'd bring the old one back. So I it was my job to to clean clean that shit up. It's straight off that dirty job show, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite color? Blue. Favorite venue to play? Oh, Red Rocks. Best city for a day off? Oh. You know what? I, I'm going I'm to surprise you and say Tulsa. Tulsa? 
Really? Woody Guthrie, Woody Guthrie Museum. Wow, right on. There you go. You guys play Canes when you're there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love There's so much history. That room is awesome. I love yeah. that room. Uh, first car. <laughs> A Pontiac T1000. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Current car. Uh, a Volkswagen Touring. Uh, book you are reading. Uh, book I am reading right now. Um, the Sound of Drums. It's it's a um, it's a Civil War book. It's got a great title, man. Yeah, great title. Uh, any magazine subscriptions? Harper's. Okay. And this one I changed recently because um, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. So besides playing, what are you most excited to have back in your life as we come out of this madness? Friends coming over to play. <laughs> All fantastic answers. And without a doubt, the fastest lightning round yet. Way to go, Vince. All right. A man who knew his answers. He hadn't. Some of these have been excruciating. I think the first one was like 17 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. You get into stories and you're off on tangents. And I listened to the first one. I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. we got to shorten this shit up. That was yeah. excellent, man. Hey, <laughs> excellent. thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy and you got so much cool stuff going on, but uh, I appreciate you taking some time to talk about the dead with me, man. Really, I do. Thank you so much. Great time, Rob, man. And, uh, and congrats on doing this podcast. How long have you been doing it now? That's six months, you know, same thing. I, I was sitting at home during the pandemic with nothing to do. And I started doing some Facebook stuff, like with the fans, some question and answers. Yeah. And yeah, I brought Keller onto one and I brought Comenti onto one with me and I brought Bill Walton onto one with me. Nice. And, and some friends were like, you know, let's turn this into a podcast and talk about how the music plays the band. So here we are, man. You know, this is uh, your episode number 16. So it's, it's going pretty nice. well. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, getting a little harder now that we're traveling, but... Uh, um, good problem to have. It's a good problem to have, man. It sure is. So uh, hopefully we will run into each other sometime this summer or fall somewhere on the road. Can't wait to see you again. And and, and thanks yeah. again for taking the time. And best of luck to you. You know, brother. Take care, man. Peace. Uh, that's that's Vince Herman from Leftover Salmon, everybody. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Vince Herman, Tom Ryan, and Rick Turner for being here. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, as always, Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week, or show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything else related to the podcast, including my blog, at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated. Nothing's too small as we try and keep this show rolling along. Thank you. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. And I must add, they did a great job hosting on a special edition last week. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back in two weeks on July 29th with episode 17 featuring my guest Aaron Comis, drummer from the Spin Doctors and a huge Dead fan, and uh, actually a pretty big influence on me through the years. 
Uh, until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. It's getting a little dicey out there again, and we really need to keep things headed in the right direction. So please take care of yourselves and those around you. Thanks for being here. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.